Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. It's a new risk that sits on the books of financial institutions, but is hardly quantified. We are talking about climate risks. An intense white paper on climate risk and financial value at risk shows that Asia is particularly at risk of financial losses arising from climate change because the impact of a changing climate is disproportionately more severe in Asia as compared with other regions. The paper, which studied financial climate value at risk for 136 assets in Asia, found flooding, for example, could cause up to 62% of total portfolio loss by 2050. The paper also found that 34% of financial assets across Singapore, Malaysia, Australia, Hong Kong, and China are at risk given their exposure to increased rainfall flooding. So, how should banks and financial institutions prepare financially for climate risk? I'm Adrian Abraham, and Money and Me is happy to welcome Ashley Hegland, Chief Operating Officer of Intensel Limited, to find out more. Good morning, Ashley. How are you doing today? Good morning, Adrian. Great to have you on the show. Let's get straight into it. We have seen record high temperatures in the U.S. and stretches of hot days have persisted longer than ever this July. You know, climate scientists say these are more signs our planet is getting warmer. This obviously raises the need for institutions to start addressing the issue of climate change. To start off with, help us understand why institutions need to understand and integrate climate risk assessment within border risk management frameworks. Yes, I think that is the essential question, right? Why should banks, financial institutions, and other、uh, organizations put a price on climate risk? I think the answer is simple: climate risk is financial risk, and it is financial risk today. We're not just talking about something in the future, as you mentioned in your introduction. We're already dealing with significant increase in heat waves, in flooding, in stronger storms, which result in storm surges, all causing Financial damage, and honestly, the market at the moment is absolutely unprepared for this. So, the ultimate thing that companies and financial institutions are going to need to do is to actually understand climate risk exposure of their portfolios and their assets, convert that into a financial value at risk, so that they can actually compare it, the quantum's to other risks that they're facing. And ultimately, de-risk the portfolio or the asset, and that is not happening in the market today. If I were to take a bit of a step back here and, and talk a little bit about Intensel, what do we do? Well, we put a price on climate risk, and we do that by bridging deep climate data and climate tech with financial expertise and analysis.、Uh, and fortunately, today we have the data to do that.、Um, that did not exist. Uh, previously, uh, so companies now have the ability to measure、uh, financial risk、uh, as it relates to climate and to take action, which will significantly help them de-risk their portfolios. I、want to just touch on what Intensel CEO Dr. Antella Ben said? She believes that no institution can financially. Be sustainable by providing a glossy sustainability report with no understanding of what sustainability means to begin with. Very interesting. So, help us understand what sustainability and being financially sustainable means to you at Intensel. Well, I think sustainability is one of those words that can get a little bit murky.、Uh, it's a little bit nebulous in terms of of our understanding. But what we like、uh, about climate risk and what we Uh, particularly physical climate risk is that it is very tangible. It is quantifiable. 
it's very easy for us to have a look at the data, and you mentioned some of it in, in the introduction, but we're very well aware of the financial impacts of uh, some of the climate hazards. And when we're talking about climate hazards, I think we should take a step back and make sure we understand what we're talking about. We're talking about things like heat stress. We're talking about typhoons uh, and, and wind speeds. We're also talking about um, different kinds of flooding. So we know that this has a very tangible financial impact. Even if you look at a country level, uh, for example, it's expected that by 2050, 10% of China's predicted GDP, we're talking like US dollars, 4.5 trillion could be vulnerable to coastal flooding. And if you think about the number of people, the tens of millions of people that are living in these coastal areas, you can imagine what kind of social impact that's going to have. So for us, when we're thinking at Intenso, when we're thinking about sustainability, we're actually thinking in very tangible terms because we believe that we should have a clear understanding of what these risks mean in financial dollars. And when we do that, companies, we believe, can therefore integrate this into their financial models and take decisive action. And that is what we need to see to address this risk in Asia and globally. I'm quite intrigued, Ashley. Why do institutions find it difficult to transit or adopt solutions that are financially sustainable? That's why we exist, actually. Um, And it is, if you think about, uh, let's take a look at a financial institution, it's typically uh, climate risk is is simply not a capability that they have internally. Um, Yes, they have plenty of financial analysts and financial experts, but they typically do not have climate scientists on board. Uh, those that understand how to access the climate data and those who would understand, even if they did have the data, how to convert that into financial models that align with the existing models that that they have. So what we do is we have brought these two skill sets and very disparate kinds of expertise together so that financial institutions, real estate companies and other uh, businesses can actually make sense of what's happening in the the climate scenarios currently, but also in future climate scenarios. So I would say that uh, in short, you know, the capabilities don't exist in a lot of the uh, institutions right now uh, to actually put a price on climate. Um, And also they simply don't have the data available to them. So again, at Intensil, that is our mission. We bring uh, the best climate data globally to our customers and we allow them to make sense of it uh, and convert it into their language, so to speak. I want to turn our attention to um, another question. Are banks, real estate and investment firms simply redirecting 90% for climate mitigation, all the while knowing that they're locking in increasing economic and societal losses? Tell us a little bit more about this. Well, yeah, I think that that's a really important point being raised, right? Which is when we're, everyone's heard about the climate risk uh, discussion. We've talked a lot about climate and and a lot of times I think um, the boards, the directors, the senior management are thinking about how to reduce carbon in their business. So so they're thinking about what we call decarbonization. That's a kind of uh, mitigation approach. But all the while, as you mentioned, I think, and I would say that a, a, a significant amount of the capital allocation for climate is is directed in that direction. But I think we all are missing something that's very critical, tangible, which is the amount of capital that we're going to allocate to adaptation. Whether we like it or not, we know that climate is changing. 
and it is changing now. And we know that it's going to get increasingly severe going forward. And there's just simply an insufficient amount of capital being allocated towards climate adaptation. Um, in a recent uh, report, the 2022 Adaptation Gap Report actually talks about how financial flows to developing countries are five to 10 times below the estimated needs. And we're, we're talking about US dollars, 300 billion per year by 2030. Those are the kind of the needs. Um, and this type of capital is, is not being currently allocated, I think largely uh, because there's been so much discussion about decarbonization uh, and that's been the focus of boards. Uh, but also simply because there is a lack of understanding of the magnitude of the uh, risk that's sitting on the books of these companies. They're simply unaware of how exposed and how vulnerable they are to physical climate change. As a result, they really just need to get a handle on what climate risks they are facing, exactly how that impacts their business, and start to take some action to de-risk their portfolio. But Ashley, how should banks and financial institutions internalize and price climate risk? Because it should be of high importance. Yeah, we, yes. Um, short answer is yes. And, and there's really just a few steps that, that you know, we can talk about here. So the first step is you have to measure climate risk. And, and you know, what we've observed, you know, the problem that we've observed when we talk to banks, when we talk to financial institutions, is they have not even quantified um, physical climate risk into their business. So the number one step is really to, to measure that risk. Um, and, you know, the reason why we believe it's important to convert this into a financial value is that therefore you are, have the ability to compare it with other risks that sit within the business, right? Um, so the, the first step really is to measure it. Then I think you have to analyze what the data is telling you and, and try to understand how it's actually impacting your business. You know, um, if you're a financial institution, how is it affecting, for example, mortgages, right? If you're in real estate, how is it uh, uh, impacting the value of your assets? Because many times the climate risk is not is unpriced, um, although that is changing because insurance companies, for example, are starting to price this risk in. But really understand how it's going to impact the business. Uh, and then once you've done that, you can actually, you know, prioritize which assets or portfolios we need to, to focus on and start to allocate capital to mitigate those risks. You know, I think the other thing that, that we often forget about is that the expectation is that you're going to start to disclose climate risk to stakeholders as well. Right. Um, the regulators are pushing hard on this, you know, whether that be you know, the monetary authorities pushing hard on the financial institutions to disclose climate risk. But also if you're a listed company, um, it's basically a mandatory requirement now. So there are a number of steps that companies, financial institutions need to take. And uh, what we're seeing in the market is that there is lagging behind and, and, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on companies to take action on this. And what can you tell us about the flaws of current climate assessments within institutions today? I, mean, I really want to find out what they've got going behind the scenes. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Well, look, I think the pressure is starting to come. And as a result, you know, companies, financial institutions are, are starting with a very high level kind of analysis. You know, if you take a look at, you know, OK, well, we, we can recognize that in country A, you know, we're going to have increasing storm surges or increasing sea level rise. In country B, we're going to have greater amounts of flooding. But to be honest with you, a high level assessment 
um, on physical climate risk is is not sufficient. Um, it frankly doesn't help you uh, de-risk. And I mean, that's one of the areas that we focus on greatly at Intensil, and that is to have asset level granular physical climate risk uh, data and insight, because it's the only way that you can actually mitigate these risks. There's, that's the only way to properly uh, build a more resilient climate resilient portfolio. Um, and I think that that's where the market's going to have to go. You know, if we focus on disclosure and, and we can tell our stakeholders, yes, we've had a look at climate risk at a very high level, maybe that ticks a box for a regulator. But frankly, it doesn't do anything for de-risk or adaptation. And that's where, where the market has to move. Now, Intensil Limited offers sophisticated climate risk analysis modeling to help manage climate-related financial disclosures and risks under climate change impacts. Can you share more insights about climate modeling and how the inspiration of this analysis all came about? Yeah, sure. I mean, the great news is that um, there is an increasingly available climate data. Um, However, what I would say is that the climate data is messy and in many cases um, not useful in a useful form for companies to integrate into their business operations. And that's a huge gap. But we do know that there's an increasing amount of both open source, certainly some open source uh, climate data, which is helpful. Uh, but there are tools such as Intensils um, that enable us to convert this into a financial value. I think the key to a solid you know, climate risk assessment is, is really begins with, with an outstanding analysis, again, at an asset level, a granular climate, physical climate risk assessment um, of the climate hazards under future climate scenarios. I think, as I mentioned before, uh, while there is more uh, open source climate data available, much of this data is not very useful for uh, financial institutions or corporations in that it is not in a format that is useful and comparable um, and easily integrated into um, capital allocation decisions. That means that it is very challenging for these companies to actually take meaningful action um, and to d- understand how to take the adaptive adaptive measures that they're required. So, um, you know, I think for us, the, the, the most critical piece is to do a very solid uh, climate hazard analysis. That is to understand which climate hazards are impacting your portfolio or your assets in which countries really understand what those are under the current and future climate scenarios. And then once we have a good picture of that, we can then um, understand the vulnerability of the assets and convert that into a financial value at risk. So it really all begins with a very solid uh, climate hazard analysis. Uh, And every company Every company should be doing this. And, and, you know, in our experience, most of the companies that we have conversations with have not even begun to do this first step. Now, looking ahead into the future for the next 20 to 30 years, seems like a long time away, but time flies. How should financial institutions mobilize and adapt their finances for climate change? Well, look, I think that the the very first step is is to actually measure and understand how physical climate risk is affecting the business. 
That is, is really the first step that needs to happen. And once we start to do that, then it will be much easier. And what we're gonna start to see um, financial institutions understand how to integrate this into their existing processes uh, and to, to appropriately allocate capital to de-risk the portfolios. But it all really starts with the climate analysis. Um, without that, we can't take any decisive action. So, you know, over the next 20, 30 years, and it's very similar to what we're seeing um, for governments, right? Um, if you think about the issue of storm surges, sea level rise in China, for example, we know that uh, the Chinese government is now very, very much aware of the potential impact uh, on its GDP and the social impact of sea level rise. And therefore, they are um, effectively starting to build seawalls and take decisive action. So they're allocating capital to de-risk on that. The challenge that we're having is that we all know, and you mentioned it in the introduction, that climate risk is, is increasing and it's increasing rapidly. And unfortunately, you know, for example, if we have a, let's talk about flooding and sea level rise, for example, if you have a, a one meter flood and, you know, it's going to cost X millions of dollars to mitigate against that, you know, if you, if the flooding increases to two meters, you know, it's not actually two times more uh, to mitigate that risk where, you know, studies are saying that we're looking at up to 10 times as much from an increase of one meter flooding to two meter flooding. So unfortunately, the costs uh, to mitigate are, are not kind of linear. And as a result, we need to see action being taken immediately. Uh, and uh, they need to have the proper insights to determine where uh, those mitigations need to happen. Ashley, you are the Chief Operating Officer of Intensil Limited with 20 years of experience as an ESG management professional working in the Asia-Pacific region. That's a lot of experience in the region. At the same time, not a bad place to live at all. So tell us, should nations protect the most vulnerable countries and communities rather than saving the too-big-to-fail institutions with taxpayers' money? Well, you know what? I think that that is going to start to happen because, um, you know, initially when I began and there was no such thing as ESG or sustainable finance or anything back in those days, um, there were just a number of people that were interested in looking at the impacts on of environmental degradation and, and social impacts. But I think today is a very different picture. Um, what we're seeing today is that, you know, climate risk is financial risk. Um, if we're talking more broadly about ESG and sustainability, I think that there is a recognition now that um, this isn't something that sits on the side. It's, it's literally hitting the bottom line. It's hitting the balance sheet. And as a result, um, you know, we're, we're able to convert this into the language of finance, uh, which enables us to uh, integrate it into our business models, capital allocation decisions, so that we're able to actually address these issues. And I think that that is the case um, for all of these issues going forward. And, um, you know, we're not talking about something that sits on the side. ESG really isn't something that sits on the side, nor is climate risk, right? We're just talking about pure business, pure finance. And these are risks that need to be addressed for businesses to be, quote, sustainable or successful going forward. And before I let you go, what are your thoughts on good governance and smart policies for climate mitigation? 
Yeah, in terms of good governance for climate mitigation and, and broader ESG, look, I think that the first step is really just to get a clear understanding, a clear picture on what kind of climate risk exposure the business has, but being very specific. Where do those risks lie in the business? What are the quantums that you are dealing with relative to other risks? And you know what, what kind of time horizon are we talking about? Up to this point in time, most organizations do not even have that picture. So that really has to be step number one, because at that point, when you have a clear picture on that, then you can start to integrate the climate risk into the business. You understand what functions need to be activated. You understand um, what capital needs to be allocated. Um, you know, so that's step number two. And then I think the third step really is to, you know, adopt some of the financial tools that are now available, like Intensil, uh, integrate it into your capital allocation processes, and really just to engage with the different stakeholders, whether that be investee companies, whether that be with LPs. Um, there's going to have to be and there's going to be a drive for greater uh, engagement on these issues. So therefore, you're going to have to have the data to speak with confidence and to demonstrate that you're managing the business well. What an insightful conversation on how banks and financial institutions should prepare financially for climate risk. We've been speaking to Ashley Heglin, Chief Operating Officer of Intensil Limited. Thank you so much for joining us on Money and Me, Ashley, and we hope to have you back on the show very soon. Well, thanks very much, Adrian, for having me. Really enjoyed that, and uh, I look forward to uh, having another discussion with you in the future. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.